You're listening to Tarot Talk, and I'm your host, Holly Ramey. I'm going to serve you some practical magic and give you tips and tools to bring the mystical into your everyday life. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 33 of Tarot Talk. I'm your host, Holly Ramey, and I am super excited to be sitting down today with my friend, Rebecca McKeever. Rebecca and I met in Reiki training back in... I don't even know what year it was. It was in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, it had to be at least six, seven years ago now. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rebecca is a doula. She's a Reiki master. She's a mama. She's a modern witch. She's a great friend of mine, and I'm so excited to have her here on the show. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, I thought you could start by just telling the listeners a little bit about you um, and just kind of like what you feel like really led you to the work that you do now and on your spiritual path in general. Okay, let's see. Where to begin? (laughs) Um, I moved to New York City in 2004 right after graduating college and I moved here as a dancer and I was trying to dance um, with Merce Cunningham and his company and I never joined the company or anything but I did um, dance there on scholarship studying with them and just danced in some smaller productions but um, I ended up getting really into yoga like everyone was at the time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But for me, it was a great um, combined path of physical stuff that I loved and spiritual stuff that I also loved. And dance got, you know, dance is really hard on the body. I started getting some really bad shin splints Mm -hmm. and, you know, was just like a poor, you know, artist in New York City and um, was really struggling And I took a little break from dance. I just got really into yoga and I started teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. And then I started teaching prenatal yoga. Um, And I did a little more dancing, but I was really in the yoga world. And I loved teaching yoga and prenatal yoga. And my prenatal yoga students kept telling me, you should be a doula. I wish you were my doula, you know, and when you hear stuff multiple times from different directions, uh, it's, I feel like that's always something really important to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, I was already doing Reiki at that point and there's just a lot more to the spiritual side of stuff. But um, so they were encouraging me to look into doula world and one day I was at this bookstore in Williamsburg and I saw this book on the shelf called Spiritual Midwifery by Ina Mae Gaskin. And it was like, you looked at it, the book just started glowing, you know, it was like calling to me. And I grabbed it. I took like a quick peek through it and then I bought it. And I thought it was a book about spirituality, mm-hmm. which it is a little bit, but actually it's more a book about birth. 
I thought spiritual midwifery was about like, you know, your spirit, but it's actually about babies being born. (laughs) Yeah. I ended up reading it um, and loving it and getting so intrigued. And the final kicker that made me decide to become a birth doula is my little sister having a baby. Mm. She had a tough birth experience and I saw how helpful a doula would have been because I was able to, you know, be encouraging and supportive as her sister, but there was so much that I didn't know about birth and ways that I saw that doulas actually are helpful, actually are needed and really can make a difference for people and for our families, um, you know, starting a new journey together. So I decided to go for it. And in January of 2012, I did my doula training. And the very next weekend, I went to my first birth. Wow. Really hit the ground running and then just started going to births all the time and discovered that this is really my path. And so now I've been a doula for eight and a half years and I've been to 173 births. And I'm going to go to a birth later tonight, actually. God. Okay. Yeah. We're going to get more into all the stuff because I have mm-hmm. a, a few questions about just like your work as a doula. I want to back mm-hmm. up a little bit. Um, so you were, you were teaching yoga, you were doing prenatal, um, and then somewhere in there you started doing Reiki. Um, and you are one of my most favorite Reiki practitioners trades all the time um and I just think that your energy work is so powerful and I'm I'm sure that it comes into your work as a doula as it does you know it kind of seeps into the other places once we start doing energy work um but how were you drawn to Reiki did you already know what it was from being in the yoga community um was there a specific thing that happened that really led you there I it's funny I actually got my Reiki level one training before I ever had a Reiki session or anything yeah um so I grew up Christian and I grew up um going to all different types of churches and stuff because my family moved a lot Mm -hmm. so We just went to whatever church like felt right for my family. We weren't very like legalistic about denomination or anything like that. And I was able, I was blessed to have like a pretty good experience with that. And I went to some churches that were charismatic sometimes and would do hands-on healing. Wow. Where you pray for people by laying your hands on them and praying for them and I always had a really strong heart connection with feeling that. Mm -hmm. And when I first heard of Reiki, hands-on healing, I thought this is hands-on healing. Like I know what this is. Mm -hmm. I know about, you know, trying to channel and healing energy to someone and loving energy to someone. And, um, you know, in the hands-on healing I experienced in Christianity, it was very similar in that it wasn't like coming from you. It was being channeled through you. Mm. And also in yoga teaching, you know, with hands-on adjustments, 
it was also very much about, you know, trying to help people with their bodies. And so for me, I thought, oh, I knew instantly when I heard of Reiki and when I heard what it was, I was like, yes, I want to do this. Same as when I saw the Ina May Gaskin book, you know, it was just this instant connection. But um, then I did the Reiki training and I developed it to be more than just what I would do um, at the end of yoga class or during adjustments, you know. And you also learn so much about um, whether you have permission or not to give it to someone, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'd be walking around just putting my hands on everyone, giving them Reiki because you know that you learn in Reiki training that you shouldn't do that unless a person consents and agrees and wants it. And so I started to actually do um, real Reiki sessions with people and got a healing space where I was working out of. And that only lasted a few years. And then um, since then, I've done it more focused on doing trainings. Since mm-hmm. I became a master doing Reiki trainings for other people. And then having it be just a part of my life. And the sessions that I do now are a little bit more sporadic. Mm-hmm. A lot of times they'll come in little waves. Like I'll do a bunch of sessions and then I won't do any for months. Um, but that works well with my doula life because it's all comes in waves anyways. Yeah, totally. That's so cool. What an amazing experience to have as a young person to be able to kind of witness that hands-on healing in such a powerful way and feel really connected to it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, go ahead. It was really powerful. And for myself, personally, I ended up kind of leaving Christianity. And so there was parts of me that had to kind of go back and find healing about, you know, some of the experiences I had in the church. And I found out it just wasn't the right path for me. I wanted a more open path that acknowledges lots of ways to um, find the divine and for spirituality instead of saying like, this is the one way. But um, now that the full, you know, transition that's happened in my life for many years ago, I have a lot of peace about it and a lot of gratitude for everything I got out of it. Yeah, for sure. I think that a lot of people can um, connect to, you know, religion being their first introduction to spirituality and to God and to feeling connected to something beyond just our ourselves, you know? Um, and like, I know for myself, it happened in a similar way. Like when I was giving adjustments in teaching restorative yoga and it was like that same thing of just feeling like, Oh, Whoa, I can feel something more than just my, my own energy here in my hands and how like powerful that is and wanting to explore it deeper. Um, and that's actually how we met eventually was, um, you were coming to sit in on my training. I think you had already done one, right? Yeah, I was a Reiki master and our amazing teacher, Deborah Hannah Camp was doing Reiki master um, class and she wanted me to come sit in and just see how she taught the class. Yeah, so cool. Um, and then 
I saw you afterwards at a few events and things at Carriage House Birth. So that is um, a birth space um, and doula and education space and so many other things in Williamsburg. Um, is that where you learned and trained with your doula work as well? No, I actually trained um, with a company called Birthday Presence. Okay. The Presence is spelled S-E-N-C-E, like your present um, at somewhere. So I trained with them through a company called Dona International, Doulas of North America. Yeah, I did my birth and postpartum training through Dona, um, but then I very quickly connected with Carriage House because we had um, some connections just in the community in Brooklyn, and I joined up with them to be a doula with them at the end the end of 2012. Wow! <clears throat> yeah, such a small little like Brooklyn community, but of powerful mm-hmm. women. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your work as a doula and for the listeners out there um just explaining a little bit about like what even a doula is and kind of like what what your primary goal is in this work of supporting women who are birthing I'm not technically um you know like a medical professional I'm not supposed to do anything medical um, for the client or at the birth, but I am there to provide mental, emotional, and physical support. And I am also, you know, an advocate for the birthing mother and just like um, a birth partner for her. Mm. So people usually hire me in their second trimester. Okay. That can be whenever. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually in the second trimester and then right away I'm available for a lot of phone and email support to help them prepare for birth, but also just to help them through pregnancy. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's a lot, you know, I know I had a lot of questions and there are so many different sources of information and, and a lot of it differs. Um, And so, yeah, it can be so nice to have someone just like, help you through trying to piece that all together. Um, and then also just be like a relaxed and pregnant or like, and present pregnant mama. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not, Cause I was like a worrier in my pregnancy of like every little thing. Um, is this okay? Oh yeah. A lot of us are. And especially with the first baby, And especially right now in the time of COVID, you know, there's a lot of anxiety. So I'm there as a resource to help give people really good resources and information instead of just, you know, going to Google. Mm -hmm. And then so, you know, I have a lot of experience with, you know, different things that can help people all the way from yoga stuff to herbs to being like, oh, yeah, you should call your doctor. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So Mm -hmm. I know that some doulas work like primarily in the Western system and are like in hospitals all the time. Some doulas work primarily in home birth situations. Um, Do you do one or the other or both? Or can you talk a little bit about that? I do. um, I do it all. So hospital birth center and home birth. 
Okay. But I will say that the majority of the births that I've done have been hospital birth. I think primarily because still people go to the hospital more often. You know, like if you look at the percentage of people giving birth, there's more people birthing in a hospital. Mm-hmm. But since COVID has hit, I've actually been doing a lot more home birth because people, especially here in New York, you know, people were trying to avoid the hospital. A little so, bit yeah. How's that been? Um, because when I first got pregnant, I was living in New York and then I ended up moving to Nashville when I was eight months along. Um, and my plan was actually to have Ruby on the farm with Ina May. Um, and, uh, it was when I was not sure if I was going to be moving or not, I was looking into home births in New York. Um, and I found that, um, it was more limited, um, like midwives who were available to, um, birth in the home. And, you know, it was way more, uh, accessible to figure out how to have like give birth in the hospital. Yeah. Trouble finding my words here. (laughs) Um, it's a hard thing to talk about when you're remembering all this intense stuff. Yeah. But I, I think there were only like two, midwives that I was able to like meet with who were available for me, um, who like both worked at in Brooklyn. Um, so I had all of these options. So has that been difficult? Like, do you know if like, have people been, um, like wanting to birth at home and like not being able to find a midwife available and things like that? Yeah. Um, I mean, even pre-COVID, home birth midwives book up really fast. Like yeah. You have to call them, you know, as soon as you pee on the stick. <laughs> so when COVID hit, midwives were like, this is insane. Our phone is ringing off the hook with requests mm-hmm. day in for people wanting home births. And they can't safely accommodate, you know, more clients than they're able to safely take on each month. Mm-hmm. But uh, Cuomo changed the rules and said certified professional midwives from out of state could come in and help. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Normally it's just certified nurse midwives, but right now certified professional midwives are allowed to do it also. But the other problem with home birth um, is that a lot of insurances don't cover it. Mm-hmm. And it's very expensive and it's actually more affordable to give birth in the hospital for a lot of people because of of who's going to pay for it. And then also, um, you know, there's a lot of hoops you have to jump through to be able to qualify for home birth. If you know, you can't be high risk, you can't like have a lot of other factors too. So Mm -hmm. those are some of the factors that I was dealing with as well high risk because I was over 35 um and they'll take you if your age is like in question but it's other factors yeah um so COVID has really changed the landscape there of birth I assume I just um found out that my sister in Pennsylvania gave birth this morning um in a hospital. So, uh, the photo that she sent me, uh, was her in a mask. 
holding her baby, her newborn. And it stunned me, um, you know, to see her wearing a mask. And I hadn't even thought about it, but I realized like, oh my God, she's been wearing that through her entire labor, um, most likely. Uh, And so how has that felt for you going into the hospital environment? I'm assuming that you're probably in a mask for a really long time. Um, The mom is probably wearing one. Um, I know for a while they weren't even letting any support staff in the hospitals at all. Um, yeah. How has that been throughout the course of this? Well, (laughs) it's been very interesting. (laughs) So, um, when COVID first hit New York, you know, doulas were banned from the hospitals Mm -hmm. and it's really understandable that just there wasn't enough PPE for everyone. And so safety first. So we were doing a lot of the work virtually. So I learned how to be a virtual doula, which I had actually kind of done before for friends who live long distance. Yeah. Um, But it was tough. Like I saw a mom who was COVID positive, Mm. who... um, like they made her husband leave and she had had a C-section and like would call me a lot because she's in the room alone with her baby. The baby's crying and she can't get out of the bed mm-hmm. calling the nurse. The nurses aren't coming because the nurses are told, you know, to avoid going into COVID patients rooms mm-hmm. as much as possible. So they really go in there less. And then when they go in, they have to put on all the special PPE every time. So it was really heartbreaking, interesting and tough to see some of these situations. But, you know, I did everything I could to try to help them through it. And the most amazing part to me was just to see how incredible these moms are. Like so brave. The moms were just being so brave and so strong and had all of my awe and respect, um, you know, and getting through it. And then eventually the hospitals let one person back in, mm-hmm. um, usually being the partner um, of the birthing person. And then eventually now they're letting doulas back in more too. And there's actually been a lot of contention within the New York doula community about whether doulas should or should not go back into hospitals, mm-hmm. about whether it's safe. And, you know, if some of us are saying we're going to go back in and other people are saying, I don't feel like it's safe to go back in, then, you know, are the people who are going in stealing all the clients mm-hmm. kind of, and it's hard because there hasn't been a consensus mm-hmm. about what is what the dual community is going to do as a whole. So it's kind of like a free for all. Everyone's doing what feels right for them. And um, I'm blessed to have health insurance and to not have any major factors that makes me feel like it's too dangerous for me to go in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also was able to get some KN95 masks for myself mm-hmm. through a doula connection and, um, you know, I'm taking a lot of necessary precautions and stuff. So I have been back to the hospitals and, um, you know, it does feel really weird in the lobbies and the hallways and stuff like that. But once you're actually in the labor room with someone, it feels a lot more normal. Mm -hmm. And And I've seen, um, go ahead. Oh no, you keep going. 
<laughs> and I've seen moms um, take their masks off during labor once they're in their own room. Yeah. In the hallways, definitely have it on. But if they're in their room by themselves, a lot of times they might feel like they want to take a break from it. Yeah. You know, and imagine it breathing. Yeah. <laughs> I keep mine on the whole time. Um, and some hospitals test everyone for COVID, you know, so I've been tested at the hospitals um, and some hospitals only test the mother mm. and then just give everyone else temperature checks, but they treat everyone as COVID positive until proven negative. But once a mom is proven negative, they're more lenient about her taking her mask off. Yeah. That's like, good. okay. We're not going to catch it from you. So if yeah. you want to, whatever, okay. um, but everyone else has it on and I have mine on the whole time. The longest I've had to wear a mask at a birth so far is 23 hours. Whoa. It did get really tough. So that was another thing that I, I was wondering about because like the life of a doula just revolves around the mom's schedule Mm -hmm. and like I mean there's just no way to tell I had Ruby at 21 weeks um some people go at 40 some people go at 42 like 21 weeks no Uh, no no 31 sorry um I was like wait what Um, and so yeah how do you know like how do you have a schedule and like, especially when you're taking clients and like, I feel like every time a full moon hits, you're at a birth. Like what if two moments go at once? Like <laughs> how do you work that into your life? Well, I just try not to take too many clients per month. Okay. Usually I only have two a month. Okay. So there's not a huge risk of crossover. Some doulas are really active and they'll take, you know, like five births a month. Um, and they just, you know, that works for them for me. Cause I have my own kid, mm-hmm. you know, it's better for me to have like a lighter load when I can and less risk of crossover, but we do always have doula backups in case of emergency. So my fellow doulas and I, we all help each other out and we're like a big circle of support. And it's really nice in the doula community that it feels like there's not so much competition between us in a lot of ways, even though I was just mentioning that um, with the COVID situation, it's been a little bit confusing, but really in general, it feels like we all have each other's back and are always helping each other out. And it's really nice. So what, um, what does it look like even like pre COVID, um, when you kind of, when do your mamas call? Do they call once they go in labor? Um, what does it look like in the, in the support that you're giving? Like once you're there at the home or at the hospital, uh, what are you doing in there? (laughs) (laughs) Um, it can vary, you know, definitely varies case by case, but, um, I ask people to call me as soon as they think anything. Okay even if they're not totally sure if it's labor or not, because um, I can help them figure out whether it is or not. And, you know, I've had people, of course, call me thinking that it is when it's not yet, especially with your first baby. It's so confusing, all the different feelings that you have when you're super pregnant. But I've also had people call me being like, yeah, I don't know if I'm in labor. 
<laughs> moaning through a contraction. I'm like, okay, yeah, you're definitely having the baby right now. <laughs> so, so I just ask people to call me very early because sometimes people, you know, don't realize they're in labor and they've actually already been in labor for a while or they're, you know, in deep labor because everyone just feels things so differently. Like one time I had someone who was having her second baby, which, you know, second babies come faster. She calls me. She's like, yeah, I'm in labor. It's going great. You know, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm just eating dinner and then I'll come right over. And she's like, oh, take your time. Like enjoy your dinner. And then she's like, ah, like screaming on the phone. I'm like, I'm not taking my time. No, I am shoving this food in me and running to you as fast as I possibly can. So funny, the different ways that it always goes down. Um, but the things that I do to help um, are helping moms understand where they're at in the process, mm-hmm. you know, like giving them a lot of feedback so that they can understand. Because when you're in the moment, it can be really confusing where you're at in the birth journey. Mm-hmm try to help them wrap their minds around what's going on, um, helping them know, you know, when to go to the hospital or not. Cause usually I meet people at home or, you know, if we're at the hospital, I'm really a great like hospital liaison. <laughs> I'm like, I just try to really help facilitate communication with everyone who's at the birth um, and really good vibes with the hospital staff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, because when you're in labor, you don't have time to like say thank you for helping you always, you know? So like I try to really, you know, keep everything good and letting the staff know how much we appreciate them. I don't really come in with like a combative attitude, like don't touch her, don't do this to her, you know? (laughs) Um, Unless, you know, someone, unless uh, a care worker really shows that that is needed, you know, but Really, I try to empower women to be able to speak up for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying women, but I know that a birthing person could feel like they are a man or a woman or a gender neutral binary, you know. So I'm sorry that my language is always not always up to speed. Um, but I'm still learning and growing with that and with everything. So the birthing person sometimes really likes a lot of physical support. So sometimes I'm doing a lot of massage, a lot of hip squeezes, a lot of, you know, like helping them breathe, helping them visualize, talking through it. Sometimes I'm giving the partner encouragement about how they can be doing those things if they need a little guidance. Um, And then sometimes the partner is actually so in there and deep in, in it with them that I'm a little bit more in the background and just offering them both drinks and snacks and encouragement, um, being like a gatekeeper for the door about who gets to come in and stuff like that. Um, and then also, of course, just like being there for encouragement and then for my birth knowledge because it's like okay we have an op sunny side up baby i know a lot of tricks to get that baby to turn around yeah Um, and so that would mean the baby's head is just not upside down like breech but just facing a, a direction that's less ideal because the most ideal um fetal positioning is for a baby's bum and spine to be in the front of the belly Mm. 
And so for me to come out and merge um, facing the back. Okay. Yeah. So there's just like a lot of tricks to fetal positioning and mom's positioning and all the different ways and coping techniques and stuff like that. So just a lot of tricks on my sleeve. And if something doesn't work, then we try something else. Mm -hmm. And of course, I also help people with the decision about pain medication. Yeah. Yeah. Some people really, you know, want an epidural. They know they want it. Some people really know they don't want it. And a lot of people are in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. So I help also everyone with, you know, figuring out the right path in advance. We can do a lot to prepare, Mm -hmm. especially for wanting to avoid an epidural. But um, then in the moment, I also help them understand, you know, sometimes it is helpful, sometimes it's not. And just figuring out where they are and which situation it is. Yeah. I mean, if my labor were like 23 hours and not three hours, I'm pretty sure I might change my mind. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Um, They're amazing. You know, epidurals, pitocin, all these things sometimes get a bad rap because I think that, you know, our current medical institutions use them a little more often than is needed or than people want but also there is a time and place for them where they can all be really helpful it just all depends so with any medical intervention like if you need it then it's a miracle it's the best thing ever you just don't want to have to have it if you don't actually need it so I try to help people you know figure all that out And then, of course, I help hold a leg during pushing or whatever position is happening. And um, then when baby's out, I also really try to help people get skin to skin and start feeding baby however they want to and start their bonding time off, right? Yeah. And you said that you also do postpartum work, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I am also a postpartum doula, but um, I always include a little postpartum care with my birth package. Okay. But then some people even want like a separate postpartum package to have a lot more care. Yeah. And so the postpartum period, I mean, I feel like I'm still postpartum and Ruby's four, but uh, (laughs) generally is the three to four months after giving birth, correct? Yeah. Like the fourth trimester. Okay. And I feel like sometimes people don't even realize that like that's a thing because in our culture it's like okay baby's out get back to work snap back into shape like yeah do your thing and we're supposed to like zip right back up and keep on moving but um and I really had that expectation um and I remember like um, when Ruby was born that night, I thought that I could just like walk up to the NICU, um, and go see her. And I could barely make it down the hall. And thank God a nurse like recognized that I was dying and like ran over and got me a wheelchair. (laughs) He was like, honey, like you can't just get up and walk around. But, um, you know, even then after I got home, it was like 
three weeks and I was just like rearing to go. Um, cause I thought that I needed to like start working out and tone it up again. So well, course, you're a really active person, you're know? <laughs> really fiery. So of course you're like, yeah, come on, let's do this. <laughs> So that's just, uh, yeah, obviously a bit of my Aries nature, but a little bit of my like first time naivete of like not really understanding the toll that birth takes on the body. So what would you say is like really the most important thing? I didn't get to prepare at all since Ruby was so early and we had just moved a week before I went into labor, but um, (laughs) I was cleaning nursery when my water broke. So like... Had I, you know, in retrospect, (laughs) there were a lot of things I wish I would have done, but what would you say is like the primary things that you think are so helpful to prepare for that postpartum period? I think that learning about it is really helpful and learning about other cultures that have like a better postpartum support system like traditional Chinese medicine and a lot of cultures that are more strongly connected to their roots and to midwifery traditions and stuff like that have a traditional postpartum lying in period that lasts about 40 days. And one great resource is a book called The First 40 Days. Mm -hmm. And it's a book um, that is mainly a recipe book trying to translate traditional Chinese medicine postpartum into something that's more accessible and understandable for Western culture. And it's got amazing recipes and it also has like really amazing just advice and info and it's a beautiful book. It's like really nice to look into. So if you can learn about the importance of resting postpartum, in advance and training yourself to be like, okay, I have to rest. I have to focus on resting because a lot of times a few weeks postpartum, you start to feel better and you want to get up and do more active stuff, but then your body will tell you it's too much by starting to bleed more. Mm. Um, And then that's the sign like, okay, you actually need to go back to bed. And it's an effort actually to stay horizontal for about a month and then just really trying to encourage your partner or whoever's going to be around to support you to also adopt this ideology because you're going to need support. Someone else is going to have to do the majority of the cooking and cleaning and stuff like that. You know, there's some stuff you can do in advance, especially freezer meals and stuff, but just knowing that, you know, your partner or whoever you have around you supports your decision to be as horizontal as possible for the first month um, is really helpful. And it's interesting because normally in when we're thinking about getting healthy, we're thinking about stuff, we're thinking about things we can do, things about being active, about eating less or different things. Whereas postpartum, the fastest way you heal is actually by resting. Mm-hmm. I think that's true about a lot of things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and like I relate to that so hard because I want to like fix and do and you know move and like often the best thing I can do for myself is chill <laughs> take a nap yeah <laughs> um, napping exactly <laughs> I don't think I've napped more than three times in my life but 
that's what happens when you're mostly fire. Um, so I wanted to ask, you know, there's a lot of different opinions about birth and there's just a lot of different opinions about like what way is the best way um, and home versus hospital versus, you know, East versus West. And, you know, when I first got pregnant, I really um, felt this strong, strong desire to like take my pregnancy into my own hands and like not be afraid of birth. Um, And I still was afraid of birth because at the end of the day, it's like this life changing, Mm -hmm. scary thing. But I also think that um, there has been a way in which the Western medical system, or maybe it's even just society or like patriarchy. I don't know what it is to be honest, but I do feel like there has been a way in which we've been taught to fear birth Uh, And maybe it's just even, you know, in the things that we see in movies and the way that birth is portrayed. Um, And so I was just wondering if you could speak to that a little bit or like what your opinion on like why you think or like even based on what you see, like why there is this like fear and mystery around birth. I think that fear of birth is very natural and normal. And I think that some of it is taught to us, but I think some of it is in our bones and our blood because women actually did used to die in labor and birth more than we do now, you know? But um, the sad thing actually is that women are still dying. You know, and America actually has one of the worst maternal mortality rates. And, you know, it's interesting because I just think that doctors who a lot of them are amazing and I really love, but they're trained to see stuff as a problem. Like, what is the problem? How can I fix it? You know, instead of seeing birth as a natural process. Mm-hmm. and uh, they feel like they don't always have a lot of trust in the process. Instead, they're like, okay, how can I fix this? How can I fix this? And I know that a lot of times their heart is in the right place, but that what they've learned has been wrong um, or you know, a little bit misguided or a little old school when birth left midwives and went into hospitals, especially into male doctor's hands. And the other really upsetting thing is um, medical racism Mm. and that women of color, black women are dying at much higher rates than white women. Um, And in New York City, for example, in New York City, black women are dying at much higher rates than white women, even worse than all across the rest of the nation. In New York City, the situation is worse. And since COVID has hit, we've had at least three Black maternal mortalities during birth um, that were completely unnecessary. And it has to do with um, a lot of things, but one of the main things is public hospitals being really underfunded. Mm -hmm. And different neighborhoods like located around different hospitals and those hospitals being extremely underfunded um, where they just don't have enough staff 
Or also, you know, you have to question some people's motives. Some people think that, you know, some doctors and nurses treat people differently because of racism. And so, you know, one thing that we're doing here in New York is we are really trying hard to help all women who are birthing, but especially help Black women to make sure that they are not being overlooked Mm. by a system that is underfunded Mm. and just making sure that they have resources that they need. But the best thing of all would be getting more Black midwives. Mm. Yeah. To be able to help their own community. Yeah. so there's been a lot of great, um, a lot of great funding, like crowdfunding and stuff like that going on. But um, as far as what way of birth is actually the safest and is actually the best or something like that, is I think that each person needs to trust their gut instinct about what is right for them because sometimes hospital birth is safest, sometimes home birth is safest, and. It's really interesting because that's one of my main goals as a doula is to try to help people trust their own instincts and intuition. And some people are strongly connected to their instincts and intuition and some people don't trust them. They don't trust themselves. And so one of the things I really try to do is help people discover their own inner voice Mm. and then trust that inner voice. Um, And... I've actually really personally been a fan of hospital birth because I have seen a few emergencies that really scared me that I was like, wow, like the hospital at least can handle all these emergencies. But I know that home birth midwives are incredibly well-trained to see the signs of anything going wrong well before a problem actually happens. So I've never, so all the emergencies that I've seen actually were already at a hospital. Yeah. And anytime I've been at a home birth and there was anything that started to go wrong, even just a little bit, you know, we transfer to the hospital before a problem happens. Mm. And now that COVID has hit, I feel like home birth might actually be a lot safer, you know, if there's a big surge rather than going into the hospital. But people have to feel what's right for them because if someone is really afraid of hospitals, if they have like white coat syndrome, every time they see a doctor, they freeze up, you know, hospital is going to be a tough place for them to deliver. Yeah. Whereas if someone thinks they want to do a home birth, cause that sounds cool. And that's like what, you know, they're into natural stuff. So that's what they should want, but actually they have a fear about it. Then they're going to have a tough birth. Yeah. You know, have to do what makes them feel the best but it's hard because we might not know what's going to make us feel the best and we don't have a lot of information besides what we see on tvs and movies and what we hear from our friends so one of the best things i think would be if we could get birth kind of like more open and talked about and less behind a curtain, behind a veil. You know, if the first birth that you ever went to is your own, of course it's going to be freaky, you know? Um, So there's a great um, movement on Instagram, a hashtag called like uncensored birth. Okay. Um, And 
there's also, you know, just a ton of great birth stuff happening on Instagram. Okay. And they got Instagram to actually allow birth images. That's amazing. I know because, you know, you can't even see someone's nipples, but you can now see birth on Instagram. And so that's been really helpful. And, you know, with the doula movement and stuff, there has been a lot more talk about birth stories and just trying to get it out there. But I always encourage women who are about to give birth, um, who feel like this is right for them to search birth images and try to embrace the concept of, you know, your vagina opening (laughs) really big and a baby coming out yeah. and that that's normal because if you've never seen that before, it's hard to think that your body's going to do that. It's hard to think that's normal. Mm-hmm. Whereas other cultures, you know, especially in the past, you know, at your birth, you'd be like in the red tent with like your sisters and your aunts and your mom and stuff. And like, you may have seen birth since you were a younger person, mm-hmm. you know, your family's births, your mom's other births. And also there was more imagery about it. There is, um, an ancient Celtic figure called Sheila Nagig. And she's in actually a lot of churches artwork in Europe. And it's this kind of like freaky looking, just like stone head and body. And then she's like, Oh, she reaches down and opens her vagina really big. (laughs) (laughs) Just a big open vagina. And other times there's actually, you know, a baby coming out as well. But it's interesting because we all know that, men, their penises can get really big and also get really small and that's all okay and normal. But women don't think about that with their own vaginas, but it is also totally normal and okay for a vagina to get really big and open. And then also it does get small again. (laughs) I actually just started reading this book called Shakti Woman. Mm -hmm. She has all these images of these ancient statues of women giving birth and women having sex and like these goddesses I'm gonna link it in the show notes I'm gonna also link some of those resources from those Instagram pages Mm -hmm. and maybe even some of those um crowdfunding sites uh to support the black community as well Mm -hmm. um that's just so amazing I think if we could bring normalize and bring in more comfort with birth and death in our society it would bring us so much healing (laughs) yeah and there are also death doulas you know um and it is really amazing just getting to take part in the transitions of life and I think it's a huge blessing to always to get to do my work. It's a major blessing. And as far as like Reiki in birth, you know, birth usually doesn't look like someone just laying there relaxing unless they have an epidural. So a lot of times it doesn't look like a Reiki session. And some of my clients don't even know that I do Reiki, you know, if they don't bring it up, if it doesn't feel like something to talk about, then it's not something that I do. But some people are really into it and we will try to do actual Reiki, like classic hands-on stuff. But more than that, it's more like a Reiki level two type of thing where I'm just trying to put good energy into the room and, um, if there are emergencies, then calling in angels and spirit guards, spirit guides and guardians and stuff like that and 
benevolent ancestors that I feel like can really help people sometimes when it gets tough during birth. Yeah. I know that one of the things that helped me so much during my birth, which was pretty traumatic because I was going so early and I was supposed to be, you know, in a cabin on the farm and instead I was rushed to the hospital. But reading the birth stories from the book Spiritual Midwifery and then Ina May's other book, um, I called on those birth stories so much in my labor. It was one of the things that really, I think, like enabled me to be confident and powerful and go through such an intense situation is just reading all the stories of all the other women that have done it. Just like, I just imagine that you as a birth supporter and such a sensitive um, person who can really feel into energy um, is just so amazing to be able to call on all that experience and all that wisdom. And at one point, right before I pushed Ruby out, I actually called on like all the women in the world who had ever given birth. <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to do to push that baby out. No? Yes. Yeah. But I think it was literally one of the most powerful moments of my life. Um, I wish we could talk forever. (laughs) I know your baby just woke up and they literally just pulled up to start cutting the grass outside. So it's going to get loud. Um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about your experience and your work. Is there anything that um, you want to leave the listeners, like any way to contact you about your work, if they want to book a Reiki session or if they want, if they're interested in a doula work? Uh, Well, my website is really easy. It's just doula-nyc.com. So D-O-U-L-A-N-Y-C.com. And um, yeah, if anyone wants to reach out, I am around. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> and I'll obviously put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for joining me today. And stay tuned, everyone, for the forecast for the upcoming full moon. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Okay, guys, welcome to the second portion of the show. I'm going to give you a full moon tarot forecast for this upcoming full moon in Aquarius. And the energy of the full moon to me feels a lot about release. I like to release, relax, rest, rejuvenate, um, really go inward during this time and cut any cords and release anything that feels like it's ready to go. Okay, so where on the new moon, I focus on planting seeds of intention and manifestation for the full moon. I really focus on what I'm ready to let go of, what feels old, what feels outdated, what feels stagnant and um, yeah, really face head on with that illumination of the full moon. uh, What is no longer needed and Aquarius is the 
opposite sign of Leo. So the sun is in Leo now, which means that the full moon will be in the sign of Aquarius. Aquarius is an air sign and it's a transpersonal sign. So it really is about um, community and connecting people on a much larger scale where we see Leo as this very like egocentric energy and can often be described as like uh, self-centered or like wanting center stage. Um, But Leo really does invite us into the heart and Aquarius kind of invites us into the mind. Um, And so they balance each other out well, right? Finding that balance between like our personal identity and also where we fall in the scope of all of humanity. Okay, and so um, when we're looking at these themes, we can look at where uh, these signs fall in our personal birth charts to kind of see if we have any planets there or what houses uh, these signs are in and see how they affect us. Um, Or we can just do the simple practice of tuning in and really noticing how we feel during these times. And, um, you know, I think it's a really beautiful practice just to kind of pay attention to the moon phases, what energy we have during each phase, what themes come up for us around new moons, around full moon times. Um, and then, you know, the moon moves quickly through the signs where the sun will be in a sign for, 30 days, the moon changes signs every two and a half days or so. So we can really get to know what is happening by just paying attention to where the moon is, in what sign it's in, and um, what phase it's in. And just noticing how we feel, doing some journaling, and things like this. Okay, you guys, so this forecast will be for the full moon in Aquarius happening on um, the 2nd or the 3rd of August, depending on your time zone, and for the two weeks that follow, which is what we call the waning moon. Okay, so before I begin and jump right into the forecast, I have a couple of announcements. First announcement is that on August 2nd, I am having a full moon ceremony, which I'm excited about because I haven't had um, a full moon ceremony in a while. I did them consistently last year for um, about six months and then uh, took a little break from it and now I'm picking it back up and we're really going to focus on release, right? We're going to um, do some release rituals, some meditation, and we're also going to really rest and replenish the nervous system with a little bit of yin yoga, restorative movement, and um, I'll offer as well Reiki and tarot guidance for you guys. So that is Sunday, August 2nd from 5 to 6.30 p.m. And um, you can find the link in the show show notes or just go into uh, my website on my events page to sign up. Second announcement is that I'm having my first live virtual 
Reiki level one attunement. So I do a Reiki level one attunement every August. Um, and this year is no different, but I'm going to do it live via zoom. So you can join me from anywhere in the world. Reiki is a magical practice, so we can do it from anywhere. Um, but really you guys, energy has no time and space limitations. So it's a really amazing that we can offer this healing practice. Um, to anyone from anywhere. And if you've ever had a distant session with me, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that it's just as powerful, if not more, um, via the interwebs. And so this is going to be a five hour training where you will be attuned to the Reiki level one Seikim lineage. I do two attunements, a level one attunement and a violet flame attunement. And then I teach you all about how to become a Reiki practitioner. We go over the chakra system. We look at the energy centers in the body. Um, we look at the hand position. Positions. We practice on ourselves. I teach you how to do a session on others if you're interested in that. I teach you how to ground your energy, how to protect your energy, how to use a pendulum. Um, we go over all of it, you guys. So if you want some more details on that, again, it's on my website. And um, if you're wondering and you want to know a little bit more about Reiki and like how it works and what it's for, I have some um, question and answers on the FAQ page on my website as well. Um, Reiki is a really great healing modality for anyone who wants to not only deepen their spiritual practice um, and, you know, get in touch with their intuitive side, but it's also a really great practice for people who consider themselves energetically sensitive or HSPs um, because it's a really great practice to learn how to really ground and protect your energy system and your energy body and just how to work with energy in general. Okay, you guys, so check that out. Um, I'm also opening up another spot in my Sacred Soul Mentorship, um, and that is a three-month one-on-one journey with me. And I am looking for a tech witch. So if you are interested in doing a little digital work for me for trade, um, hit me up shoot me a DM, shoot me an email. I'd love to talk to you um, as this platform grows and I add a few new projects in. I need a little help with uh, content creation, social media, video work, things like this. So um, thanks for listening to those announcements and let's jump right into the reading. Okay, you guys. So I pulled a three card spread. I pulled two cards in each position. And the first was just a general message for this full moon. And I was not surprised to see judgment. I've been talking about judgment for like a month now, ever since the last full moon in Capricorn. Um, it's just been a card that's keep that keeps coming up. It's been coming up in personal readings, client readings, collective readings, just all across the board. Judgment is a big lesson. It is the last card before the world. It is number 20 in the major arcana. It is the lesson of the heart. 
And I wish you could see the image of the card because it's this beautiful like white dove and it's rising up out of darkness. And then the card from the liminal space deck that I pulled is called Just Passing Through and it's of a Luna Moth that is also like moving upward. And so these two energies are like this energy of rising up and it's rising up out of darkness. It's rising up out of shadow. It is rebirth. It is renewal. And it is an invitation into the heart chakra. It is an invitation out of judgments, right? Out of pettiness, out of low vibrational um, energies that keep us kind of bound and guarded um, and criticizing ourselves and each other. And judgment is um, an energy of forgiveness. It's an energy of release. And so it's a really beautiful energy for this full moon. Um, releasing old hurts, releasing self-criticism, self-judgment, um, and really embracing with compassion and remembering that we are just passing through right? I think the life cycle of the Luna Moth is like four days or something like that. And so like remembering that this life is short and that we are really here to connect and love and like really getting close to what it is that we desire, what our hearts truly desire. Um, and what blocks us from that, right? How do we guard the heart chakra? Where do we put up our walls? Where do we build these cages around our hearts and why? Um, forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, releasing resentments and bitterness is it's a tough job right it is an emotional job um it is a vulnerable position to be in but it's what's being asked of us asked of us at this time um do your heart chakra practices do your buddhist meditations um connect with the energy of the heart in whatever way that that shows up for you, um, violets and hawthorn and rose quartz and roses and all different types of florals are beautiful heart medicine in whichever way you want to use them in body oils, in tinctures, in teas, um, connecting to nature and feeling her support, um, connecting to mother energy, um, and our our own mothers maybe or our ancestors um or mother-like figures um that really represent nourishment and healing to us yoga practices like back bends and breath work there's so many different ways to connect to the energy of the heart and um these will benefit us now these will be medicine for us now. So whatever that means to you, um, even a simple forgiveness practice, a forgiveness meditation um, could be a really beautiful heart-centered practice for this full moon. Okay, the next cards I pulled are for what we are releasing at this time. And for this, I pulled the Knight of Pentacles reversed and a liminal space card called Same, Same, But Different. And again, 
the images on these cards really speak to me. They're similar in same, same, but different is a bee and a moth. Um, and then the Knight of Pentacles is actually a, um, a young stag, a deer, a male deer. Um, and the Knight of Pentacles has this energy in the reverse position of kind of like working without reward, of feeling like um, bored with the mundane and frustrated. And like, um, we're not really getting any return on investment for our efforts. And I pulled this card in the last um, reading that I did for the new moon. And so I feel like this is a continuation of what we're working on. Um, and I also pulled judgment <laughs> in the last, um, and I flip-flopped them. So it's like what we are, we're kind of working through the cycle of these themes. Um, and to me, this really feels like releasing, we're ready for movement. We're ready for change. We're ready for transformation. We're ready to actually change our actions um, and make different decisions and choices instead of just like showing up and doing the same thing every day and expecting different results. Like that is the definition of insanity, right? Is when we continue to kind of do the same things, think the same way, have the same practices. Um, but then we're really frustrated and angry that nothing in our lives are, is changing. Um, and so these two cards together really make me feel like it is time for a shift. It is time for a transformation. It is time to evolve our thinking and then the action that we put behind it. We can no longer just wish for something better without making radical change. Um, and then the card that I pulled for what we are bringing in is the nine of swords with the liminal space card, the blank at the crossroads. And these cards together really tell me that it's time for a shift in the way we think. Like we need to make a change in the way that we approach ourselves and the narratives that we, that we have in the mind. And like, this is also going to be associated with that judgment card because the nine of swords is very much a card about self-judgment, self-criticism, self-doubt, those inner dialogues that just no longer serve us. And we're ready to make a change. We are ready to stand at the crossroads and make a decision right? And the decision is like, which way are we going to go? Are we going to continue down the path of like negative thinking or are we going to choose a different way? The, th the key here, right, with this card is that we have to let go of the concepts of like right and wrong and good and bad. And we need to ask for forgiveness instead of asking for permission, right? And um, I think they say in the they say in the guidebook for this card, like requiring neither is best, but if you need one, go with forgiveness, right? And forgiveness is really the theme of the judgment card anyway.
Um, and then it says like, make a better deal this time. Right. And so like, I really want us to check in with those thought patterns, those narratives. We call them in yoga samskaras, these deep grooves of like criticizing ourselves and shaming ourselves for what we could have done or should have done differently. Listen, we are all messy, fucked up humans just trying to do our best in this world. And this is such an intense time for all of us. There's so much happening in the world. We are in the middle of a raging pandemic that seems to have no end. And it's like, I I feel that like boredom and frustration and that every day is like same, same, but different because every day is like sitting in my house doing the same thing. There's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. The kids aren't in school. It's hard. It is difficult. This is a time in which we really need to practice patience and try our best to see the silver linings. Um, But the days are long, (laughs) you guys. I'm feeling it too. The days are long. Um, But we can't let that stop us from moving forward and making changes. And we can't be hard on ourselves for these moments when we feel really frustrated, when we feel like there's no end in sight, Um, but really just inviting in whatever feelings are arising now. Um, This is a trying time. It's like we're in a fucking pressure cooker and we have to figure out what to do, Um, but nobody has all the answers. And so... um, just really allowing for that, just really allowing for the messiness of it. And there's so much judgment happening in the world. We're seeing it everywhere we turn. And I talked about this a lot for the last new moon. It's just like, we are all judging each other so harshly right now. I am right and you are wrong. And listen, if you've been listening for a while, you know my point of view. Um, I'm pretty liberal and it's really, really hard for me to look at people who are not wearing masks and who, you know, support Trump and, and think that they are not wrong and that I am not right. And it's so easy for me to cancel out these people because I do not believe that their opinions are for the good of humanity. Um, but we have to be able to try to look at each other with eyes of compassion, even if we do not agree. And we will not always agree, but we cannot continue to stay divided. We must be able to somehow, some way, learn how to make a decision or to choose kindness over judgment. And it has to start within. It really, really does. Um, because what these these opinions bring up in us is really important information. When you are faced with someone who has a completely opposite opinion of you or then you, how can you sit with the discomfort of what you think that opinion means? Does it mean that they don't love you, that they don't respect you, that they don't care about you or anyone else in the world? And how can we be vulnerable and sit with that? Um, The more we can sit with our own shadow, the more we can examine our own narratives and how we are blaming and shaming ourselves, 
the more that we will be able to move forward and choose a new track. We can't keep playing the same fucking record over and over again, guys. It's getting old. All right. (laughs) That's a lot. When I work with the Nine of Swords, this is a really mental card. There could be past hurt, past trauma. And so when we're working with the mental cards, I really like to sit in uh, whatever brings you more self-awareness and consciousness. Um, Meditation is really nice for this. It's a long game, you guys. It's not a short practice, okay? You can't just like sit in meditation for a couple days and then all of a sudden become self-aware. It develops more and more over time as we go. So do a little every every day. A little every day equals a lot. Um, journaling is really great for this. EFT, uh, I think it's emotional freedom technique, but it's called tapping, is a really beautiful practice for this as well. Um, Check out Brad Yates on YouTube or Gala Darling for that. And um, just start to pay attention. Uh, Nicole LaPera, the holistic psychologist on Instagram, talks a lot about breath work and meditation and different techniques for um, cultivating self-awareness and self-observation. And I really like the rain meditation, which I've probably mentioned a million times by Tara Brock for this as well. But it is really time to examine the narratives that we've been playing so that we can forgive and release and let go. Okay, you guys, that is the forecast for this new moon in Aquarius. Thank you so much for joining me here. I really appreciate you listening and your support. Um, If you love the podcast, please support it uh, by sharing it, uh, screenshotting it, posting it on your socials, sending it to a friend. You can support it monetarily um, via Anchor. There is a button in the Anchor app to support. Um, You can send me a tip on Venmo, whatever feels good for you. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you again soon. Take care.